Welcome to Innovate at Open, the podcast that explores open source through the lenses of distributed collaboration, collective invention, and technology creation. I'm your host, Gordon Half, technology evangelist with Red Hat. Hello, everyone. This is Gordon Half, technology evangelist with Red Hat, and I'm here at FOSDEM in Brussels with one of my colleagues, Harish. Harish, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you, uh, Gordon. My name is Harish Pillay. I am uh, a Red Hatter, obviously. I have been with Red Hat now 17 years, and I work out of the Singapore office. There's a topic that I would say has probably been one of the hot community and policy topics here. Been being talked at the community dev room this morning, was talked about in the legal and policy dev room yesterday. And I think in general is something a lot of organizations are thinking about, and that is open source sustainability. Mm. How do we keep people contributing to open source projects? How can we not be exploit the people who are contributing to open source projects in many cases. So give me some of your initial thoughts on this topic. I'm looking from an Asia-Pacific perspective because there's a lot of variation to the theme there. Uh, different economies have got different levels of use case in the case of open source for whatever it is that you're going to be using it for. Um, there's also ma- a lot of manufacturing that happens in that part of the world. You know, as, as, as noted, you know, China is the factory of the world. So there's a lot of these products and services and so on that is created that comprises and uses open source software in a lot of the stuff that they create. And none of them have got the question of sustainability built into it. How do I ensure that these things are updated? That's a simple, simple uh, question. It is essentially sold off and that's it. I don't hear about it anymore. So the, then the, the question then comes back, when you are now deploying a lot of digital systems around the world and almost every single thing is built and deployed using open source tools of one form or shape or manner, the people who have created it have either no incentive to figure out where it is, either because it is a fire and sell and that's it, you know, write and sell and I'm done, or... It is part of a big ecosystem of different players in the equation. And that doesn't necessarily uh, give a good sense of how do I sustain this thing? Where do I, where do I, and how do I ensure that these tools that I'm using to create the solutions that I'm, my organization is now selling, for example, are sustainable? There, there are parts in that equation where there are people thinking about it, but there isn't enough of it at all. And it compounds with the fact that software is freely downloadable from an open source perspective and people just use it without thinking twice about it. What else do I need to worry about? They, there may be very little change being done or some or a significant amount of change. In either case, none of these are fed back into the bigger projects for that matter. And so there's insufficient visibility and therefore it just goes into a black hole and, and we don't know. And so the, we need to have this conversation. This is a conversation that has been starting in many places, but it's not being sustained as well. So there are multiple uh, you know, uh, uh, issues that we are trying to figure out. How do I get people to understand, hey, look, you do these things for whatever projects you're working on. Make sure these are available in terms of being supportable. Oh, my, my business model doesn't allow for it. 
or my product cannot be supported remotely because of whatever uh, the constraints I place onto it. And so I don't really care. It, it, it's a tricky situation to be in. I think you've hit on a couple of different aspects of sustainability. And something that's a little bit of a tension there is there is sustainability or supporting the creators of software because at some level it's the right thing to do because you're part of a broader commons by participating in that. And that gets into certainly a lot of issues of really philosophical issues at some level. And then there is the sustainability aspect insofar as if you want your software to be supported, if you want the software to evolve in directions that are useful to you as a business, it's the smart business decision to get involved in that. And I think some of the large companies in Asia-Pacific, among many other places, have started to come around to that. But as you say with essentially disposable consumer goods and IoT and other areas, that seems to be a very different mindset from, say, the large industrial players. I think that's about, yeah, that's about sums up the, the lay of the land, I would say. I, but it, there's another aspect to this as well. It, it's got to do with um, getting the sustainability story in a manner that gets into the school system. When you get into the school system, the kids in school who are building whatever they're building, um, you know, they're teaching them how to code or, or creating devices or whatever. If you have an opportunity to engage at that level, they are very formative years that if you can imbibe into them, say, hey, look, you need to think through about sustainability. Yeah, you can throw it away, but let's think about the sustainability part of it. Now, that could be a way to attract this issue as well. Um, because if, it is, if you're only going to the employee, uh, the organizations, the businesses, and that may be too late. Because then you have a completely different metric to measure under, which is, is the business successful or otherwise. But when you start further down the chain, when they are talking about you know, uh, students in school and in universities, that's where probably a conversation needs to happen as well. Sustainable, how when you can create all the best software in school or teach you how to build all these things, but is this sustainable? Is this doable? Is this something that you are going to be proud of that you, Mr. Student, just going to graduate today, 30 years from now, your kids are probably going to look at it and say, Dad, you built that? Wow, that's how do you sustain this? You never know. So I think that that's a conversation we need to have, and I don't think that's happening at all. And really, that kind of points to, you know, companies are, after all, made up of people. Governments are made up of people. And a lot of the conversation has been around changing the company, making a decision, really in kind of a profit-oriented sort of framework, whereas maybe we should be thinking more, and I think this is what you're saying, of trying to change attitudes from the ground up. Yeah, it goes back to the, the, the idea of green movement and, and you know recycling and all those things. It, it all dovetails very nicely into it. I, I don't know how much of the technology we have created in the last 30 years is now sitting inside uh, uh, dumps and you know leaking stuff. And you know, couldn't we have reused some of those things? 
maybe those days we didn't we didn't think it through <laughs> I, I i think that was the real thing now is it a flaw of the system or is it the bigger ecosystem or is it just oh we got some new idea let me just push it through and make some cash on on it and be done with it and i don't care about it and i sell the company and that's the end of story i i i i i fear that we are still not making the connection from a change of mindset to what it is that we want to see you know 10 years 15 years 50 100 years from now what is it we want to see partly because we don't we may not be around to see it so therefore i just don't have the the timeline in my mind to see that but i think if we go back and say hey look what are we seeing today what was who created what was created and what are we seeing today and if you go back say could we have done something different then i don't know So again it goes back I I I'm kind of circling around the whole idea of, of getting people to understand sustainability and I think that is a seriously difficult problem to get people to understand because of the time scales involved it's not immediate for you and just the economic forces associated with globalization and the shipping container yeah. and the factories in China I mean at some level the america for example it's been a consumerist society certainly since post world war 2 era or so but certainly i think in the last 10 20 years there's been a further shift i think towards you know we don't repair stuff we use things once and throw them out and try getting things repaired it's is almost impossible to and it's certainly not going to be cost effective in many cases unless you do it yourself. So it's not just a software or not just a technology issue, but really this sort of entire mindset towards disposable. Yeah, I think that's where a, I guess as designers, as engineers, as builders, we have to ask the question of the organizations we are in. We are being tasked to build these tools, these toys, this whatever. Aren't we going to be also be answerable for how do I maintain this? Yes, there is a bottom line issue. I agree, but couldn't I not have designed something that could be repaired, and which means I could then potentially update the software and, and so on? It just one leads to the other. There's nothing stopping. There is no. I'm sure there's no designer out there who will say, "Look, I'm going to design something that is only for a single use," because that's not going to be something good that they're going to be proud of to say. But they will say, "Yeah, I would like to make this useful. I can repair it. I can do whatever extra I want." I'm sure that's what they were going. To, they're going to be saying, but we are not doing enough of it. Again, it goes back to the enoughness. I mean, it's, it's really we we need more people to talk about this, and talking about it is step one. Step two is actually acting on it. Uh, that is even harder. But okay, let's get a talking starting first. So let's say, hey, we need to be sustainable. So every question, every product I ask, I I, I mean, the last maybe two three years. I, Every product I have been asked to either acquire or, you know, whatever from a family perspective, from an organization perspective, has been. Does can I maintain this? Do I want to maintain this? How easy is it? How difficult is it? So I I, I do check, and then I have in my mind a, a checklist. Is okay. This particular product, I am prepared to not maintain it, and if it dies, it's gone. And this other one, I'm going to be able to maintain it. That kind of thinking I never had. For for the longest period, it was you know within maybe last five to ten years, I started consciously doing it, and that's me doing it for myself, and then try to propagate to other people. Again, human nature being what it is, they say, "Oh, it's too difficult for me. I don't know what to do." So 
it, it, it comes or goes around in circles because it's just not easy enough and manufacturers and vendors and organizers are not making it trivial because they say, oh, it's not in my business interest for you to repair it. I would rather you buy another, a newer version from me as we've seen some of the, the uh, Sonos and those guys. It's, that's just not acceptable. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of discussion around the Sonos uh, not getting further software updates and Sonos did back off in their position a little bit. But it does show this problem where we have this very fluid thing called software and one of the great benefits of this fluid thing called software is we can update things after they've left the factory. Contrast my 1970s vintage stereo where what I got from Pioneer is what is what it is. Uh, the difference, though, that is that stereo receiver still yeah, works, <laughs> and I don't think many of the devices that we are buying today will work in thirty years. And part of the problem, and sort of come back to our earlier discussion, is that it's not just about an ability to upgrade to add functionality, but with things like security flaws, we have to upgrade many of those things that are connected to the public internet. And yet, as you say, there really isn't a business model for companies to provide those upgrades in many cases. And frankly, if there were a business model such as a subscription, as consumers, we probably wouldn't be that big on paying an annual subscription for 50 different devices around our houses. So this seems like this will become an increasing issue. Actually, that does suggest an interesting new business opportunity, right? So I am happy to come and provide you a service to look after all your devices at a price. Instead of individual ones, I give it a one, one price and I fix it for you. Or look after it for you. And periodically it pings me and says, hey, this is my status. Oh, well, you know what? I need to change this. Or I can tell you as a consumer, as my, as my customer saying, hey, you know, time to update this because this is, needs to be, you know, something needs to be. So it's on a, on a subscription basis. Yeah, that could be another interesting business opportunity there to solve this problem because you, we need to drive. I mean, it's, it's the beauty of some of these ideas is when you can place a useful business model behind it, it then takes a life of its own. And then there'll be people sometime down the road saying, oh, why didn't I think of that? It's there. This is something, but we need to find the mix, the, 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 the nuances that we can say, okay, if you have you know, 50 devices in your home, your light, your, your temperature, uh, your washing machine, your refrigerator, I will cover the whole thing for you. And I manage that for you. I'm not managing how you run it and all that, but I just look after it for you. Yeah, you may have additional warranties and whatever for these respective devices. We respect that. But what about those who are not? So at least this probably gives an opportunity to create a, a new business. And if there is an ongoing revenue stream coming in, that also implies to where we started this conversation that there is an ongoing revenue stream that could perhaps through some mechanism, whether it's directly, whether it's by way of various foundations and communities, 
to share some of that revenue stream with the actual developers. Yeah, why not? I mean, that becomes an opportunity to say, hey, you have uh, OpenWRT-based uh, routers in your house, your Wi-Fi access points and all that. I manage that for you at a price per month, per year, whatever. And a percentage goes to the developers. Why not? Now, now you find a way to turn this into an opportunity that fits into the bigger picture. It also benefits the end user. It also, it primarily also has an opportunity to benefit the creators in a manner that they never expected to, which is, which is a good thing. I mean, that in a way, that's the Red Hat business model as well, in many sense, right? It, it, it does come into that uh, aspect, which is, I am also providing it back into the system that created it. But I'm also giving accountability to my customers. Although I didn't create all the stuff. I just go there. It's just like an insurance company. I give you a coverage for your house, your fire insurance or whatever. Whatever that got burnt, I, I cover that for you. In some ways, that's what I'm trying to provide. But I'm not providing an opportunity to fix it. <laughs> not, not just to cover when it burns. So things like So there is an interesting idea that you know, this might need to be expanded on. Maybe this could be a subject for a talk. And I think this idea of building business models that support things is an important one because we're, we're here at FOSDEM and there are a lot of people here who are here simply because they love open source and are happy to do it as a hobby on, their, on nights and weekends and so forth. But... As Chris Anizek, for instance, of the Linux Foundation, was observing in another recent podcast of mine, things like donation models are a bit dangerous because they tend not to really work and they tend to effectively end up taking advantage of people. And in general, we probably shouldn't be looking at people doing some ethical thing, moral thing. They should certainly do those things in many cases, but we shouldn't be depending upon them for the health of communities and health of open source. Well, I think you nailed that there. I mean, it's uh, the donation model is a, it's a difficult model. It's really difficult. Again, I don't know whether there's some initiatives that people have started, um, tight lift, and uh, that's, that sounds like a good idea. I think that makes sense. There's some, there's some legs for that to stand on. I think that makes sense. But I'm sure there are you know, other ways as well uh, that maybe you know, when a system gets deployed, because you know, the previous model, or not previous model, the current model where you, you, you are a manufacturer and you make 10,000 widgets, for every widget you pay a cent to the whoever you licensed your stuff from. That was one model. That model continues. But when you deal with open source software, you don't have that, you know, every widget I send out, I give you one cent for the product and the software that I incorporate. But if I turn it around downstream further down, turn it around, turn it, make an opportunity to then feed it back, that might make um, an opportunity that makes sense. And that keeps helps with the sustainability portion as well. And it adds to an accountability aspect, I feel, because now the person knows, hey, you know, my tool that created the piece of software now runs in this particular device, I had no idea about. And that's nice to know. And maybe now I can do something extra with it. Who knows, right? So I think we need to have that cycle. It is still right now an open circuit. We need to close the circuit. And I think that's the, about the only way to make that happen. I can't think of any other way to do it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Innovate at 
Open. For future episodes, subscribe to Innovate at Open on your favorite podcast app. You can also go bitmason, B-I-T-M-A-S-O-N, dot blogspot.com for show notes, blogs, and a full archive of episodes and more. Thank you for listening. This is Gordon Half, Technology Evangelist at Red Hat.